Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fraggle Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda. I'm very pleased today to welcome Jorg Kell to the podcast. Jorg is the founder and former executive director of the United Nations Global Compact the world's largest voluntary corporate sustainability initiative with over 9,000 corporate signatories in more than 160 countries. He's also currently the chairman of Anglo-German asset manager Arabesque Partners. He is a key figure at the heart of the development of today's sustainability agenda. Well, thank you very much, Jorg, for taking the time to speak to the Sustainability Agenda podcast today. I'd be interested in getting your perspective, Jorg, from from uh, your many decades at the forefront of bringing sustainability issues into the, the corporate world, uh, your work at the UN. How important a role do corporates have in dealing with the major environmental issues that we're facing at the moment? Well, there's no question. Uh, the corporate world is both the cause, much of the reason of the cause of the problems you are facing, but also has all the means and the answers to be part of the solution. So it's the yin and the yang at the same time. It is about markets and how markets deliver, produce, and what they produce. Uh, market, of course, don't operate in isolation. It's the interplay between policies, people, their choices, preferences, behavior, business, how they produce, what they produce, and how they reuse, and of course, finance, that oils the wheels of market interdependencies. But clearly, business has a key role in this relationship. Right now, I, I mean, I know for many decades the the, the dominant logic um, are the you know is Milton Friedman's the business of business, and um, at the core of of the corporate um, logic, I guess, is maximizing maximizing shareholder value. How does that uh, integrate with sustainability and ESG? I think Milton Friedman has been wrongly uh, cited many times, and this debate about exclusive focus on shareholder maximization and short-termism is a very specific American perspective, I would argue. But also here in this country, in America, in the US, you find many, many corporations who understand, of course, that their own viability and long-term survival is tied in with society at large. And it's a dynamic setting, a setting that continuously is changing. And what has been changing over the past three decades are three fundamental forces that are reshaping markets. One is obviously technology, digitalization, automation, which among others puts a premium on disclosure on being frank and forward-looking on challenges rather than hiding them. Ask the question, what can I do to minimize my negative and maximize my positive footprint? The second mega driver is clearly the issue of natural boundaries, as some people call it. Uh, Clearly, Mother Nature can absorb only so much garbage and greenhouse gas emissions until feedback loops uh, change the very foundation, uh, which also affects, obviously, business. So environmental stewardship and anything to do with natural assets is bound to appreciate in value over time, which means environmental stewardship 
is becoming ever more important. And the third irreversible force that reshapes market conditions is related to governance, which is more tricky because in the Western world we face fragmentation and many bubbles and tribalism and inward orientation partly. And in many other parts of the world, we have a more top-down control where digitalization actually empowers kind of autarkic uh, governance systems. But this divergence on governance has a commonality. In essence, people everywhere, East and West, have now a much more direct means of expressing their their emotions and their preferences of all sorts, including what they buy, how they buy, and how they invest. So there's an opportunity towards a people-centric approach. And these three forces clearly put a premium on corporate strategies and operations that anticipate and play with these changes, changing frameworks. Right, that's very interesting. And I'd like to come back to, to that latter point um, in a moment. I'm just wondering about corporations looking at uh, environmental and sustainability issues that aren't necessarily, I mean, you talked about the, the, their future at stake because of, you know, the, the societies, the risks of society connected with environmental degradation and, and, and related issues. But uh, are corporates, uh, is there, does their governance allow them to look at issues that go beyond their own direct profitability i mean if a company has a water uh you know reliance on water uses water you can understand how they might you know uh, include that in some kind of broader esg and stakeholder dialogue and so forth but if not um you know are, are there challenges i mean I know, and I don't know whether you've come across this recent research that Daniel Nyberg did uh, over 10 years looking in, in Australia, five in-depth case studies on, on major Australian corporations. And what he found is that they, they went uh, systematically from a period of uh, very focused, uh, energized uh, attempts to, 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 to uh, prioritize sustainability and over a period of time, really a lot to do with the stakeholders, shareholders, the press. They ended up going to back to business as usual. This is five big corporations. It's pretty, it was quoted in the Harvard Business Review and, and so forth. So I, I'm just wondering, you know, getting to the core of that issue of the legitimacy of, you know, corporations looking at the broader uh, remit like that. Right. No, I, I see. And I, I haven't read that particular study, but uh, the outcome doesn't surprise me. Uh, if you take a global perspective and you, you look into different markets, you have these uh, dialectic forward-backwards movements everywhere. Uh, and clearly, markets are, are, are optimistic in a sense that there are tens of thousands of corporates who work on different speeds and are on different pathways. You can argue in a bigger context that what the sustainability agenda is really about, it's about market transformation away from industrial era concepts of scale and scope towards a future fit model of operation. And we can't yet describe what the future exactly looks like, but we know what will be different. Take, for example, the whole debate on, on, on greenhouse gas emissions and externalities or negative footprints. Uh, clearly, that will change over time and negative externalities will have to be priced at one point sooner or later, be it through a price on carbon or other means. Uh, water in an era of scarcity is no longer 
can be taken for granted. It has to be managed uh, carefully. It will become ever more precious to do so. That's the long-term trend. Uh, labor, which in the industrial era, which was just considered a cost factor, which one had to minimize to maximize profits, increasingly the recognition is settling in. People, knowledge, future orientation, innovations, so a whole different angle on, on management and human resource management. In the past and still prevailing, uh, corporates could assume that their own profit motive is independent of society's public goods aspirations, but clearly public and private interests increasingly overlap and the dividing lines are being blurred. So the future success models are those which recognize the overlapping public and private interests. Uh, so I think the big picture is, is very clear. It's about transformation from to, but the speed at which this happens is sometimes disappointing or you see even moved backwards. And it's fair to say that in most markets, the fiscal, legal and regulatory regimes are still based on the old thinking uh, of the industrial era. Take, for example, perverse subsidies for fossil fuel uh, production and consumption. Uh, the World Bank estimates that to be something like 500, 600 billion dollars, which is equivalent or higher to all investments in renewable energy. Just one example. Even in very advanced countries such as Germany, they still subsidize diesel consumption. That is a perverse, outdated industrial policy, but it's still in practice. So corporates are facing, they have to, of course, survive and thrive within this system of outdated policies and fiscal and other incentive structures. Nevertheless, uh, smart companies, they can read the writing on the wall and there's nothing that uh, says they cannot move ahead. Look how many corporates are now applying a shadow price on carbon, on carbon, although there's no requirement in most markets. I think it's 1,400 companies currently that is changing investments for the future. Investors are increasingly uh, paying, uh, putting a, a price on carbon as a, a risk factor and actually are de facto slowly de divesting from fossil fuel and moving to clean energy. Uh, the news has come out here in the U.S. just last uh, two weeks ago that in Florida, property on the shorelines uh, is being discounted by 20% for resale value across the board. This is pricing into assets, uh, what Mother Nature actually forces us to do. So the point is, uh, the systems have not really changed fast enough and are lagging behind. And business has to work within the current system. But you can see many corporates uh, moving ahead nevertheless. So it's a messy picture, this transformation. Uh, it's messy at the sectoral level. It's messy across country. But the big parameters are very clear. We have to move and we are moving from the old industrial era model into a future fit. Well, I mean, that's very interesting, Jorg, and, and, and it's interesting to, to, to hear you, you know, draw together those points. At the heart of this, at the same time, is this question of growth. In this new model, clearly, growth is going to presumably remain important, growth. And then we can come on to, you know, your role in Arabesque and, 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 and the, the role of investors. But do you not see a fundamental incompatibility between the ideas of unlimited growth and the environmental problems we have today? 
Yes, I do. At a very <coughs> personal level, I think we have the wrong values. Uh, growth has to do with values and what we value and why we value what we do and what price tag we associate with it. And uh, there's some fundamental mismatch. And that, again, has to do with where we all come from. We come from industrial era thinking and our whole uh, awareness and thinking is uh, needs actually to change. And we are not fast enough in our adaptation with the changing environments. We still value overconsumption, wasteful consumption. We still value buying garbage, let me put it bluntly, carrying it home and then throwing it away, <laughs> to put it bluntly. We still eat animals, <laughs> although we know plant-based food is more nutritious, healthier, and uh, has obviously uh, an enormously positive impact on the natural environment compared to beef and uh, other animal consumption. Uh, and so forth. So I, I think uh, uh, we as a human race, we are challenged to to come to grips with a new reality. Uh, and it's a collective challenge. We don't have the experience on how to exactly navigate this, but we will be forced to adopt one way or the other. And there's lots of positive, good experimentation ongoing, how to change the valuation behind the market system. Right, right. And, and can you talk a little bit about the role of finance here in, in different dimensions? Clearly, very important people talk about the role of investors. I've spoken to many corporates who, who would admit that the, many of their investors aren't as interested in the environmental side of things as they would have hoped. I know there are many uh, kinds of investor groups out there from impact investors to ESG investors. I'm just wondering how far has finance come really? Well, historically, investors have been lagging far behind. Their obsession with uh, short-term returns is very, uh, has been very acute, and their inability to account for anything that is outside the standardized net present value system uh, has been shocking, frankly. Uh, we uh, issued in 2004 a report called Who Cares Wins, uh, based on, on in-depth analysis of, of uh, corporate long-term success, and we coined the term ESG then in 2004, but nobody really paid attention. When PRI was launched in 2006, uh, James Gifford, the great guy who came to my office with this idea, a few asset managers started to, to pay lip service to uh, uh, the importance of integrating these issues into analysis and decision-making, but not really much happened. Financial crisis came. We had hoped that then the wake-up call would be heard, but it didn't happen. Instead, uh, regulatory battles uh, emerged. Then something uh, really fundamentally important happened about three years ago. The first empirical evidence came up, a meta-study, uh, one produced by Arabesque with Oxford University and Harvard and others, which clearly showed there's a positive correlation between corporate ESG material performance on the one hand and valuation uh, and stock valuation on the other hand. And that was a wake-up call. It uh, triggered off an enormous rethink, which is right now happening uh, everywhere uh, in New York, in London, uh, in Singapore. Uh, the, in the idea that extra financial issues are increasingly important to safeguard investment is really going through a huge renaissance. Is uh, I'm actually so optimistic now that I believe that the 
ESG investing concept of integrating uh, environmental values, social values and governance uh, perspectives into analysis can fundamentally accelerate the market transformation I just talked about because capital will increasingly go to more sustainable companies and away from less sustainable. It will change valuation, it will change brand values, it will uh, fundamentally accelerate the change. Uh, the speed at which this happens, you can argue, is not fast enough. But here comes the good news, thanks to technology uh, and products such as our S-Ray, like Sunshine, with big data, it is now possible to offer scalable solutions. So no longer one-to-one -one, uh, examination, but across the board uh, based on SASPI uh, frameworks and other materiality thinking. So I'm actually quite optimistic now that the next big boost in sustainability will come from the al alignment between sustainable investing and responsible business practices. Uh, and that is obviously a big uh, hope out there. And we can see it happening in some parts already uh, by some estimates over 20 trillion US dollars already are in to some degree uh, using ESG uh, concepts into their analysis and allocation decisions. And that number is bound to grow. Look at PRI, Principles for Responsible Investment, uh, how they are growing and the work they're producing. It's really phenomenal uh, how fast it is happening. The many initiatives that are now taking place around climate risks, for example, uh, the task force uh, has just amplified that many others are ongoing. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite optimistic that finance now not only is catching up with the corporate responsibility movement, but maybe even overtaking it and giving direction. And once finance speaks and relocates capital, then the sustainability issue really goes to scale and will be accelerated. And hopefully then policymakers will also realize it's about time to adjust the framework conditions. That's a very optimistic vision. Over what time frame do you see this unfolding? Uh, the alignment between ESG investing and responsible business happening right now as I speak. Uh, it's The speed is amazing. Just this year, to give just a few examples, uh, our S3 technology was adopted by the world's biggest uh, custodian banks, such as State Street, New York Mellon Bank, the Japanese Pension Fund, and others. Uh, and that is unheard of. So these big custodian and uh, banks and asset owners now show their asset managers and other banks that, look, we not only look into short-term financial returns, we also look into environmental performance, social performance, governance performance, and here are the scorings, uh, and here are the risks we think are out there. It will send an enormously important signal down the food chain, and hopefully will accelerate uh, big changes on a, on a massive scale. Are they acting upon this? Is money, are, are, are you saying that investors are using this in a significant way? I know, yes. like Larry Fink, for example, was got some quite a bit of media attention for you know saying about companies not only delivering financial performance, and yet his uh, by and large these are passive investors, so kind of quite a, 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 a kind of anomalous kind of situation there. So you 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 feel that the large investors are 
putting their money behind ESG, putting their money, they're, they're being driven by these kind of considerations. I mean, as you say, there's research that shows that not only that, that sustainable companies do better, actually uh, perform better, but they actually perform better as investments. And yet it still seems on the grand scale of things, the size of the capital markets, that's quite a small proportion that, that is responding to this. You, you see that changing. I think it's changing as we speak. I think this year is uh, the big momentum. You will see PRI will meet in September in San Francisco. Uh, we'll get a global update on, on developments. I'm trying to follow all the, the big trends that are playing out. And I, I'm really encouraged. I've never, ever dreamt about the possibility of such big changes actually starting to kick off now. Why hasn't it happened already earlier, 10 years ago? Don't ask me. Uh, maybe everything needs a time, but investors are realizing that there are material issues out there they better take into account. There's another movement happening bottom up. People, the next generation increasingly wants to express their values directly. And they are discovering that actually through their investment choices, they can actually make a, a direct contribution and make a difference. So as products are now emerging, which allow individual people to align their own personal values with their own investments, you will see a massive acceleration. I think this is the year of alignment between sustainable investing and responsible business practices. And once the, that is happening, then I believe that policymakers who are still lagging behind will also wake up and realize change is possible, actually uh, a future future model of, 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 uh, uh, of sustainable development is, is, is on, in the cards. And then the alignment will, will further complete because ultimately we need governments, we need level playing fields, we need to change regulatory and fiscal policies uh, to promote clean and people-centric transparent practices and phase out the destructive old ones and we need that urgently and, and, and what about the Supreme Court in Delaware? I mean, I spoke to Jay Cohn Gil Gilbert about the B Corp movement and I know that some of your colleagues have done quite a bit of research around the question of maximizing returns that is actually not really even embedded in corporate law and you know and, and questioning this and yet and he said well you know that may well and be but when it comes to the decisions that are made in Delaware uh, that message hasn't necessarily got through. Well it's a long way to win over uh, all skeptics and it's a long way to actually change mindsets at the end of the day it's really about mindsets and a willingness to face the future and to, to read the signs of our times. And we, we have to be aware that this is a long road, but uh, given the massive uh, widespread awareness creation now about materiality and, and long-term value preservation and creation, I'm quite optimistic that we can accelerate this movement significantly. Great. And, and finally, I guess just in terms of the governance, I mean, we've seen with some of the oil companies and so forth, how well have investors done in holding uh, large companies to account for their environmental behavior as investors? Not very well at all, I would say. I think uh, that trend has just started to kick off. Uh, very few of the big oil companies uh, have future fit plans uh, moving into other sectors, complementary sectors such as utility or, or offshore wind farming and the likes. There's still a couple of uh, very important oil players who, who have no alternative model but oil and we're just waiting to drill more. I think there's still a big battle ahead. 
Yes, yes. What's next for you, Jorg? What's on your mind? What's on the radar? I think the most important challenge on, on my mind is is how to make this alignment between uh, sustainable investing and corporate good practices happen in reality, how to make this transmission mechanism uh, effective and bring it to scale as rapidly as possible. Uh, that is very much on my mind. Well, I wish you the very best success with your ongoing projects, the work you're doing. And thank you so much for taking the time today to share your views and insights with the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Pleasure. Thank you very much. All the best to you. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. 